Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear a lot of talk about Lent. And I did a Google search, in fact, recently on Lent, and this is what I found at the top of the list, things like this. 10 out-of-the-box ideas for Lent. 25 great things you can do for Lent. What to give up for Lent? 50 new ideas to try. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little overwhelmed by all these lists and creative ideas, but I want you to know that Lent shouldn't be really about coming up with something creative to do for Lent. You know, the church has been doing Lent for 2,000 years. We don't need to come up with something new, something creative. I know that's popular. You know, I want something tailored to me and to my likes. This is about my self-expression. You know, here's how I like to do Lent my way. Again, I know that's very trendy to do things that way, but but that Lent isn't about that. I also am concerned that sometimes we can view Lent as just about, you know, a list, you know, checking off the box. I did these three things for Lent. Good. I feel good about myself. I'm really living Lent. Now, don't get me wrong. These lists can can inspire us. Maybe there's some idea you come up with and that's fine. Uh, maybe I'll do a podcast on five great ideas for Lent someday. Who knows? But I'll tell you this year, I want to take us deeper. I want to bring us into the heart of Lent, what Lent really means in the Catholic tradition. In other words, if you were a Christian in the early church, what did you focus on in Lent? I doubt the early Christians would gather each year and come up with, hey, let's come up with 12 new ways we can live out Lent. No, no, no. I want to bring us into the heart of the Catholic tradition on Lent today. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to share some things that you're probably not going to find on the average blog or social media post, but it really is what the church is focused on for nearly 2,000 years. And I think we should be focusing on this first and foremost as well. I don't know if you know this, the word Lent. What does the word Lent mean? I think it can tell us something about this great season. Well, the word Lent is an English Saxon word that describes springtime. So it's just about the sea, you know, the time of year. But I think it tells us something about the liturgical season, this wonderful season of Lent, that it can be a springtime for our soul. That's the intention here that our spiritual life is meant to, to blossom. It's meant to kind of take off in a new way here. And if you want new life in, in your friendship with Christ, if you want to grow deeper, if you want to have a new springtime for your soul, then you want to live Lent as a Catholic from the depths of the Catholic tradition. And you're going to need to do a lot more than pick a few novel Lenten practices on Pinterest to do that. So what is Lent really about? What is Lent from the heart of the Catholic Church? How do we live it? That's what we're going to talk about in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri, and I want to give a warm welcome, especially to any new listeners. I know that there are a number of new listeners joining us from the Great Seat Conference. It was such an amazing event, tens of thousands of people gathering, not all together in one place, of course, in this time, but in small groups all around the country, around the world, uh, as a live broadcast event. It was such a blessing to speak with Father Mike Schmitz, Curtis Martin, Sister Miriam, Sister Bethany Madonna. So many other great presenters all being together through this amazing event. I was able to go visit some of those small groups. It was it was awesome. In 48 hours, I was in five different locations, and I was able to be at Benedictine College, University of Missouri in Columbia, uh, Lindenwood students in St. Louis. Then I flew to Spokane the next morning and met with some parishes in Spokane, and then crossed the border into Idaho and met with the college students there. It was an awesome 48 hours just to be with people, not just on a 
screen. Uh, so, so thankful for everyone who participated. And if you're joining here, thanks for checking out the show. Well, Lent is around the corner. I know that seems hard to believe because it seems like we just got out of the Christmas season. Uh, but I want to tell you this season that we're celebrating called Lent, it goes all the way back to the early church. And I think it's helpful to go back to the roots and see what is it really all about? What did they do? You know, all the way back to St. Irenaeus, who's an early church father writing in the middle of the 100s AD, he talked about this preliminary spiritual season, this this uh, a period of fasting to prepare for Easter. Now, he doesn't describe it as being like it is today exactly, but there was this sense of we need to fast, we need to spiritually prepare to get ready for Easter. And the thing about this, this is Irenaeus, this is third generation Christian here. <laughs> you know, Irenaeus was discipled by a na- man named Polycarp. Polycarp was a, a bishop who was martyred in his old age. Polycarp was discipled by a man named St. John, the apostle, the beloved disciple. So Irenaeus is like a spiritual grandson of St. John, the apostle. So Lent is being practiced, or at least the, the seeds of Lent, already right there in the very early period of the church. And then by the time you get into the 300s AD, you're seeing the idea pretty widespread of 40 days of Lent, 40 days of fasting in imitation of Jesus who fasted for 40 days, of course. But here's my question for you. Why 40? Why did Jesus choose to fast for 40 days? I mean, why not seven days? Seven is a good biblical number. 10 is a pretty good biblical number, recalling the 10 commandments, or 12. That's a really strong biblical number. But why 40? What is it about 40? And I, I, want, to, I want to look at this from scripture because the church has always turned to this number 40 in scripture. But I think a lot of people today don't know what the number 40 is all about. Yeah, they've heard about, okay, 40 days and 40 nights in, in the ark, you know, in the rain, or 40 years in the wilderness. They, they know that, but they don't know what it's really all about. I want to bring us into a biblical understanding of the number 40 and the two main ways we see this. If you understand the two main ways the number 40 is used in scripture, you'll understand why Jesus fasted for 40 days, and you'll understand what Lent is about, and you'll have a much greater springtime in your soul this Lent. So let's talk about this. First of all, the number 40 was used in times when people were preparing to encounter God closely, intimately. Think about this. God loves us so much. He wants to draw near to us. He wants to draw near to you. He wants your heart. He wants all your heart. That's what we're going to see here in the biblical tradition related to the number 40. It's all about God wants your heart. He wants all your heart. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want a distracted heart, you know, a heart that kind of loves him, but also loves being on screens and social media all the time. He doesn't want a heart that loves him, but also loves lust or a heart that loves him, but also loves money too much. No, no. He, he wants a heart that's fully fully devoted to him. Do you want to encounter God heart to heart? Do you long for God to speak to you heart to heart? Do you want to give your heart more to God? Let me tell you about two people in the Old Testament to whom God revealed himself in the most profound way in the Old Testament. He revealed his glory to them. These two men are so important. They're known as like the pillars of the Old Testament. They sum up the Old Testament. I'm talking about Moses and the prophet Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law. 
Elijah represents the prophets. The two of them sum up the whole Old Testament, and they both were called up the same mountain, Mount Horeb, or also known as Mount Sinai. And God brought them there because he wanted to reveal his glory to them. It was going to be a profound encounter. But when Moses and Elijah were called there, it wasn't as if if they could just go up that mountain and say, okay, God, here I am. Let's chat. Here, God, let's have this profound encounter together. No, no, no. They needed to get ready. They had to prepare. They couldn't just walk up there, even though these were some of the holiest, most virtuous, most heroic men in the Old Testament. They still needed a period of preparation. For how long? For 40 days. 40 days of intense spiritual preparation. That's what this was all about. The number 40 in the Old Testament. That's why Jesus chose to fast for 40 days, to recall this, to remind us of this desire that God has for our hearts. He wants to unite himself to us. He wants to reveal himself to us like he did to Moses and Elijah. He wants to be very close to us, but for us to be close to him, we we have to prepare. We can't just walk in and just go, oh, here I am, God, I'm ready for divine union. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, if, if we want to be close to God, we have to prepare ourselves. You want to be closer, closer to God, don't you? So give yourself generously to the practices of Lent, the basic practices every Catholic should do. Do you know the three things? You don't need to go to Instagram to figure out what you should do in Lent <laughs> because the church has told us, Jesus has modeled this for us. There's three things every Catholic must do in Lent, and they come right from this middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the very center of the Sermon of the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, you read about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Now, these three practices we should do all the time. They're not just for Lent. We should always pray. We should, a Christian disciple should pray every day. We should always have some kind of fasting in our lives where we're detached from certain food. The church recommends every Friday throughout the year, not just in Lent, is a day for some kind of sacrifice. We give something up. Traditionally, we give up meat on Fridays, but you can give up something else if you want. But we all should do something every Friday. And then almsgiving, which is giving to the poor, giving money to the poor, giving time to the poor, serving the poor. Uh, think of it more broadly. But almsgiving is uh, is something we should do all year round. We don't just care for the poor in Lent and then forget about them for the rest of the year. So these are things we do all year round. They're just the basics, basic habits of a, of a disciple. But in Lent, we intensify them. In Lent, we give our hearts more generously to them. But what is it all about? You know, praying more, fasting more, giving more money. This isn't just about trying to prove to God, God, I love you. Look at how strong I am. I can resist food all day. I'll I'll only eat one meal today. I'm strong for you, God. Or I'm going to pray an extra hour. I can do a holy hour, God. I'm, I'm strong for you, God. I'm trying to prove my love for you. No, that's not what this is about. Think of it as about creating more space in your heart for him. That's what these practices are about. You know, we're too attached to our time. Do you notice that? Sometimes are you like, I'm just so busy. I've got so much on my to-do list, so much on my calendar. I, I can be just so attached to my time. I don't have time for other people. I don't have time for God. But when I give extra time for prayer, it pushes me to make a sacrifice. I, I feel a little nervous. Uh, I, I don't have that much time. I want to cling to my time. I've got so much to do. Surrender your time to God more this Lent. Give him more of your heart. 
trust that he's going to provide for you. If you give God more time, he's going to give it back. When Mother Teresa was really busy and she wanted to start spreading the missionaries of charity, she felt called by God to spread it around the world, not just in India. She It was going to stretch her like never before. So you know what she started doing? She started doing an extra holy hour, <laughs> you know. So uh, that that's the, the the mindset of a saint, and we want to take on that mindset. Give your heart generously. Give more time for prayer. Pray an extra rosary. Pray an extra divine mercy chaplet. Go do a a little extra time in adoration or time reading the Bible at home. Whatever it is, but don't think of it as like I'm trying to prove something to God. I have to demonstrate my you know that I'm a good Christian. It's not about that. It's about letting go, trusting in God's providence, not being so attached to your time. And then we worship God in prayer. And so we grow and and our hearts are more united to him. Same thing with fasting. Fasting isn't about, I'm trying to be a superhero for God. I'm going to give up all this stuff for him. You know, no, no, no. It's about creating space in your heart for him. You know, we can be so attached to food. We're so attached to our favorite coffee or our favorite beer, our favorite wine. Uh, a Lenten practice is always to give up, you know, fast, some kind of fasting on a regular basis through Lent, giving up you know, wine, alcohol for Lent was common uh, in, in the early church, the medieval church, giving up entertainment. They, they would close down the theaters, you know, in the early church. And, you know, like, you, you, so maybe we don't watch our favorite show during Lent, whatever it is. Like there's things that we can do and you, you'll figure out what, what God wants you to do this Lent. But I don't want you to think of it as just like, I have to sacrifice and give something up for the sake of a sacrifice in and of itself. It's more, again, about creating space in your heart, creating space to listen to God more, to hear him and not to be your, your heart being crowded by all this noise and screens and food and drink. Same thing with almsgiving. We can be so attached to our money, to our possessions, to our financial planning and financial security. God's inviting all of us to make a sacrificial gift this Lent. You know, not just give some loose change or, or some extra money, but be generous with Jesus by loving him and the poor. Give a sacrificial gift where you feel it. You feel like, ooh, if I give that, I might not be able to do what I wanted to do this summer with vacation or I might not be able to get the next iPhone right away. You can go a little time without the next iPhone. You really can. The poor need help right now. Jesus is crying out in the poor for you to help him. <laughs> you know, so we, we can we can delay certain things. You know, we can just be a little more generous. Give a sacrificial gift this Lent. All these things are about creating space in our heart for God so we can encounter him like Moses and and Elijah. Now there's a whole other theme though I want to draw your attention to about Lent and the number 40. It has to do with the theme of penance and sorrow for sin. Now we all know Lent is a somber time, but I don't know how much we really draw attention to the need for sorrow. We need to express sorrow for our sins for to God. I think about something in the life of St. Teresa of Avila, who had seen crucifixes all her life. She's seen statues of Jesus in his passion and suffering. She was used to seeing this all her life, and she knew Jesus died for her sins. And, but one day she was just struck at how she never really expressed deep gratitude and sorrow for her sins. Listen to what she says. It happened one day I was entering the oratory, and I saw a statue representing the wounded Christ. I felt so keenly how poorly I thank him for those wounds, that it seems to me my heart broke. I threw myself down before him with the greatest outpouring of tears. So she kind of just took for granted the idea, Jesus dies for my sins. 
yeah, Jesus died for me. Oh, yes, I know. I'm sorry. I sinned, Jesus. You died for me. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we can kind of be like Teresa was maybe and St. Teresa was, you know, just, we take it for granted. I mean, we, we, we know the reality. He really died for my sins. And we tell God, yes, thank you. And we're sorry. But do we ever really deeply realize what our sins do and how they, they, they pierced him on the cross? Do, do we realize that? Do we express sorrow? This is so important for Lent. And, and I don't think Catholics today talk about this enough. This is an essential part of what Catholic Lent is all about, penance and sorrow for sin. You know, we see this in the number 40. Why, why do we have the number 40 with the flood? Do you remember the story of Noah and the flood? It rains 40 days and 40 nights. That isn't because, oh, the number 40, God loves Noah. Well, guy, God does love Noah, but he's punishing the human family because of sin. That's why the flood came. It's the same thing we think about Israel going around the desert for 40 years. Yeah, the number 40, Israel in the desert. But I want you to know that the number 40 for, for Israel in the desert, them going around for 40 years, that wasn't the original plan. They, they wandered around in the, in the desert for 40 years because of their sinfulness. Yeah, you read the Bible carefully. It's, it's, very, it's, it's very clear. The plan was get out of Egypt, go to Mount Sinai, get the Ten Commandments, then go straight to the promised land. Boom, year one, you're there in the promised land. But it was because of the hardness of the hearts of the people. is because of their sin. God brought them to the edge of the promised land in year one. They're getting ready to go in. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they freak out. They don't trust God. They're worried that there's, you know, these pagans that live in the land that are going to kill them. They think that God has deceived them. God has tricked them. They say, you brought us out of Egypt to kill us here. And God says, really? You're calling me a murderer? You're calling me a liar? You think I tricked you? After I did all these things for you, you don't trust me? So they rebelled. They didn't want to go into the land. And God says, fine. If you don't want to go into the promised land I'm giving you, then you're not going to go in. You're going to wander around here for 40 years until you all die in the desert. And it'll be the next generation, your children, that will get the land that I wanted to give you. So the 40 years in the wilderness isn't like, oh, this nice time with God, pillar of fire by day, by, by night, pillar of cloud by day. You know, it's not like that. It, it's, it's a period of punishment. And in the period... They, they have to learn to express sorrow for their sins and repent. Now, practically, think about Teresa of Avila. She feels deeply how her sins is brought about Christ's death on the cross. She contributed to that, that God had to come down, love us so much, and that he'd take on our punishment and offer this gift of love back to the Father. That's what the Son of God did for us. You know, I think about it in my own life. You know, our sins really have consequences. Do we have to have to really feel the weight of that? Do you feel the weight of your sins and how they hurt other people and they hurt God, your relationship with God? I think in my own marriage, sadly, I, I hurt my wife. I, I don't want to, but I know I, I'm selfish. I'm not thoughtful enough. I can lose my temper. I can be impatient. I can give an unkind word, an unkind glance. And I, I hurt my beloved Beth and I feel badly about it. And when I, when I hurt her, there's times when I, I do express sorrow well. I mean, other times I, I need to do it quicker and better. But when I do do it well, it's, I, I think I, I'm really feeling deep in my heart really badly. I have a contrite heart. I shouldn't have said that that way. And I, and, and I feel so badly. I see how it, it hurt her. And, and, and in those moments, I, I, I'm really thinking of, of how I wounded her and, and, you know, with that unkind word or not being thoughtful or thankful, whatever it was. 
you know, and when, when there's been times when maybe I've hurt her more seriously than other times with, you know, the way I treated her or something, I, I may feel so badly I, as I'm saying, sorry, I, I can recall times when I was teary. I cried. I said, honey, I am so sorry. I see how this hurt you. I just felt so badly because I love my beloved. Do we approach Jesus the same way? Do we approach him that way? You know, sometimes I think we have a more kind of self-centered sorrow over sin that, that's, that's kind of popular today. And it's not, it's not virtuous. It's, it's not on the mark. You know, I think sometimes we can, we, if we sin, we notice our weaknesses, we notice our faults, but we're more focused on, oh, I can't believe I did that again. Oh, I'm, I, I, I am just not a good Christian and I'm so weak and, you know, and, and, and I don't like this feeling of guilt. I kind of feel guilty about how I treated this other person and uh, I'm not feeling comfortable. I feel like they, they're hurt. They don't really like me or they're, they're, they're upset with me. And I, I don't like that conflict. I don't like that tension there. And, and I'm more focused on me. I'm focused either on my own feeling like I'm a failure, my disappointment with myself. Why am I not better? Or and that's pride, <laughs> you know, that's not sorrow over sin. That's just pride. I'm spiritually proud. <laughs> you know, on the other hand, I can also just be more focused on, I, oh, I don't like the conflict I caused, the tension. You know, I, I, I'm not really focused on the other person. I wish the other person wasn't mad at me. I hope, I hope they're not upset with me. I'm not focused on really what I did to hurt them and, and the friendship. I'm focused more on the negative consequences for me. And, and that's not helpful. I, I think, think about my, my relationship with Beth. Imagine if, you know, I hurt her in some way and then I'm like, oh, I'm a terrible husband. Why am, why am I not better? <laughs> you know, I'm focused on me. Like imagine Beth doesn't feel any, I'm not really concerned about her and our, you know, how I hurt her. Or imagine if I, you know, just like, I, like I hurt her and now she's, she's upset. There's tension. I'm like, uh oh, uh oh, she's, she's, she's mad at me now. Oh, I, I, I better stay away or I, oh, I don't like this feeling. I feel a little guilty. That's, that's selfish. I'm focused on me. And I think Lent is a season that really is meant to draw out an authentic sorrow over our sins where I'm really focused on God and I'm focused on the other people in my life that I hurt. Not, not, not focused on my failure and my weakness, not focused on, ooh, there's tension now and conflict or this person may be upset with me and the consequences. You know, no, I'm, I'm focused on the other person, namely Jesus and how I've hurt my relationship with him. I've dishonored him in my sin. I haven't trusted him as I should. I haven't followed his commandments as I should. I'm not focused on him or, 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 or I'm not focused on the, the other people I, I'm sinning. We tend to focus more on ourselves. Lent is meant to invite us to have a truly contrite heart, a sorrow that turns away from sin. Right? I really say, God, I'm so sorry. And it leads me to repentance. I mean, I think about Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is so beautiful. After David had his great sin, he committed adultery, then he committed murder. And he, he writes Psalm 51 and he expresses this great sorrow. And he says in, in the third verse, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me against you. You alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. In other words, he, he's not focused on, oh, I'm a wretched person. He's focused on, I've done a wretched thing that has hurt my relationship with you. I've sinned against you. Lent is a time for us to grow in sorrow, 
to realize that our sins really do affect God. And God wants our hearts to turn to him. So how do I live this out? Four practical things, really quick here. Four practical things you can do to live this out. First, let's do a deeper examination of conscience this Lent. Let's let's do a deeper examination of conscience, not an examination of conscience that's focused on self. I'm weak, I failed, I'm not holy enough. That's self-centered. No, let's do an examination of conscience that's other-centered. I'm focused on the people in my life. How have I failed to love others? I think that's the big question. Take time this Lent to consider how have you failed to love God as you should? How have you failed to love your spouse as you should? Your children? How have you failed to love your friends, your coworkers, your relatives, the people in your community? I think to do a relational examination of conscience is really healthy in this way. And of course, you're going to bring to mind all the virtues and vices and Ten Commandments and all that. But think of it in terms of the relationship because that'll be more focused on the people and you you you, you feel more deeply I've let this person down. Maybe maybe I didn't hurt them directly, but I didn't give the best of myself to this child. And that child is suffering because I I didn't give the best myself in a certain situation, or I wasn't, I didn't have as much time with them, or I didn't patiently work with them on something. You know, and, and you start realizing, wow, my sins affect other people. And it can it can kind of stir that true sorrow in our hearts for sin. So that's the second point. Then express sorrow. Maybe read Psalm 51. So do a deeper examination of conscience focused on others, on your relationships. Secondly, express sorrow for our sins. Maybe tell the people if you've hurt someone and you just need to tell them sorry. Maybe you need to tell them too, but certainly tell God sorry. Go to confession. Confession, that's the sacrament of of, of Lent. <laughs> you know, you really want to go to confession, go regularly to confession. Express sorrow over your, your sins. Third, meditate on Christ's passion. That's what Teresa of Avila was really. She, she all of a sudden reflected on a moment in Christ's passion that she saw expressed in that art. And and it it drove her to her knees and to express sorrow. We should always think about the passion narratives, but especially in Lent. Take time, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John toward the end of each of those gospels. Just pick up toward the end. You'll find the passion narratives, Jesus's agony in the garden. You could start there. And then you can pray, reflect on it. Think about what Jesus did for you and realize that everything that's happening to him is happening because of sin, because of our sin, because of your sin, my sin. And and that can help us express greater sorrow. Now, I know people don't like to do this, but my friends, this is what it means to be a Catholic. A Catholic disciple reflects on how our sins have affected others and mostly God, our friendship with God, and how it brought about the passion. So we need to have the passion narrative written on our hearts. Let's take time to all through Lent, really reflect on the passion narratives. I wrote a book on this. If you're interested, that's a, a book that could be helpful to go scene by scene through the passion narrative from the agony in the garden all the way to Calvary and unpacking biblically what, what each biblical word means. And it'll help you really appreciate what Jesus did for you in his passion and death. The book's called No Greater Love, A Biblical Walk Through Christ's Passion. You don't have to use my book. There's other books though. You know, So we'll put that one in the show notes. I'll also put in the show notes, Fulton Sheen. Venerable Fulton Sheen wrote a wonderful book on the seven last words of Christ. Many other books on this topic, uh, but do something to read the passion narratives regularly through Lent. Fourth way to enter into Lent is of course, Stations of the Cross, the wonderful tradition. 
If your local parish has Stations of the Cross, go if you, as often as you can, uh, especially on Fridays is a great day to do this, but you don't have to do it at a church with other people. You could do it on your own. Uh, I remember a great Holy Jesuit priest I used to take to his doctor's appointments, and he, we used to pray Stations of the Cross together uh, in the car. We prayed in the, the waiting room. <laughs> and, uh, so you can do the Stations anywhere, wonderful Catholic tradition to write the passion narratives on our hearts. So those are four practical tips. I hope this has been helpful, my friends. If you enjoyed this podcast to get ready for Lent and you think other friends and family members could benefit from this, share this podcast. If you're brand new, uh, listening for the first time and you enjoy this, I want to encourage you to subscribe to All Things Catholic. And you can always reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. God bless.